Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Good day, David. And welcome to the wisest hockey fans on the internet. That's right. We're lucky, Bruce. We get a, we got a great audience, great crowd of people to talk with on Twitter, and I'm glad to talk to again with, uh, with that group of people. Hockey's a fun thing to talk about. Even in the first even nice trying, day of summer. Even in trying times. Yeah, yeah, it is nice out there. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So, Bruce, um, slowly but surely, all of the, the great to good forwards have dropped off the free agency market, almost. There might mm-hmm. be a couple out there. There are. Uh, Ken Holland didn't grab one. That is no surprise. The owners didn't have the money. I don't think it really at any point. I guess unless they... Theoretically, if they hadn't signed Chase on and used his money and some of the money, um, mm-hmm. they might have been able to get a UFA. But Ken Holland identified the need at the start of this whole thing for a for a top six winger and a third line third three C a third line center. He still has acquired neither, unless you yes. consider Joachim Nygaard and Gaetan Haas, and they might they may well be. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you don't know this. Chances are one of them might fill one of those roles, mm-hmm. but uh, it might be a bit much to expect both of them to step up in that manner. So here we are. The, here's the good news for Ken Hall, and though in this summer of need, um, there's still lots of good players who don't have their names on contracts, and there's there's other players who do who are going to be on the trade market because the salary cap has never been tighter in NHL history for historic reasons. The, the, the 2013 cap got rid of most of the loopholes uh, where you could, the main one being that you could stash big contracts in the minors and not right. have them count against the cap. Teams have been taking advantage of, the, of that. The owners would be uh, certainly be doing that themselves this year if they could. The big money teams did that, but they got rid of that. So now when you sign a player, you're stuck with that contract and every team has one or two contracts. Almost, I think almost it's fair to say almost every team has one or two of those contracts. So they certainly have one of those contracts. I think they just have one. Well, they got Manning too. You know, they got maybe they got three Brodziak, but Brodziak's so cheap. Uh, uh, I don't. If it's under a certain level, I mean Brodziak, you stash him in the minors, it costs you what seventy five thousand or something. I mean that's that's chump change. But when you're talking about storing millions at a time. Uh, you know, that you're writing off, then yes, you have to consider that. So there's all kinds of teams that still have to sign players. There are RFA, restricted free agent players, who are generally speaking the most valuable players in the NHL um, because they're in the prime of their hockey careers. At, at, you know, when they get to that after three years of their entry-level contracts. Mm-hmm. And to do so, they're going to have to shed other players. So there's a number of teams that are in that category. Uh, Calgary... New York Rangers, the Boston Bruins, and they all have players, useful forwards, the Edmonton owners could use. And there's there's three or four more. Um, that, that Toronto, may or may not be Toronto, Toronto, Winnipeg. Uh, there's just, it's just, it, it's a big list. Um, yep. So lots of targets out there, Bruce. Holland, it's a, so it's a different kind of summer. Like he's been a GM all these years and usually they'd be off you'd be off by now. I hope he hasn't fallen into that pattern where he's, well, it's end of July. I'm going to, I'm off now. We've That's done not, what we can. 
that's not this summer. That's mm-hmm. not where they're at. And he, I don't think he's looking at that. And you, you, he better not be. You certainly cannot be looking at the NHL. You got to be working right now as the GM to put that final piece or two in place. And Holland's got to do it. So, Bruce, what's your best bet on how – do you think he is going to do it, A, and what's yeah. your best bet on how he's going to do it? Yeah, well, he certainly wasn't doing it this week. And we've seen this week uh, Michael Furland sign uh, $3.5 million times four in Vancouver, uh, Ryan Zingle 3.25 at times two in Carolina. Uh, both of those are sort of right in the area where if the Oilers had signed those guys to those contracts, they would have taken away all of their cap space and all of their negotiating room. And, I mean, the problem is, of course, right from the start, is that uh, Holland's uh, been working with one hand tied behind his back thanks to the uh, uh, horrendous situation that he took over from, uh, uh, for mostly, I mean, he took over from... Uh, Keith Gretzky, but the situation he adopted is from Peter Shirelli, who did such a horrendous job last year and arguably prior, and and the orders themselves not being in very good position to take advantage of other teams because they don't have a lot of cap space. You know, they got three, three and a half million dollars of which they would like to keep some aside to budget for Mike Smith's bonuses and to make room for uh, injury replacements. So if you put aside even $1.5 million for that, all of a sudden, I mean, what do you got left? And you know what, Bruce? A lot is made of the Lucic contract, right? And, mm-hmm. and it is. It has turned out to be a terrible contract. But it's funny. The orders wouldn't be in this situation this summer. If it wasn't for the – I just feel like cursing that – cursing the little moves, the so-called little moves that stupid-ass Shirelli made last year. You know, the $2.6 million or whatever that Manning has this year on his 2. contract. 2.25. You know, and the, and the um, okay, 2.25 for Manning. And then trading away Strom. Oh, and, and you creating get this gaping hole at 3C. Yeah. So now you had a center who's going to earn $3 yeah. million, but, but what do you have in return? A winger who you can't really count on in Sam Gagne is the truth. Like, he's not a top six winger. He may be a third line winger, but he's not a center. And that's the key position. And... And uh, the Miko Koskinen contract, you know, where he overpaid by two years and two million at least at least a million dollars a year, maybe two million dollars a year, he overpaid on that. So, without that, like, like that's five or six million dollars, Bruce. That he yeah. just that the ah, Shirelli, he just yeah, deserves all, all of the all of the invective and hatred he's getting right now. All hatred, like people shouldn't be hated because they bumbled, but. All of the harsh criticism, including mm-hmm. that he should never be an NHL GM again, is completely warranted by what happened yeah. in that last that last stretch of GM nonmanship. GM's nonsmanship. I was saying last night to a friend that, uh, in in my view, uh, last season specifically, twenty eighteen nineteen, Shirley had the worst season of any general manager during the salary cap era. Yeah, and, I mean, you 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 detailed uh, several of the moves, uh, but the the the, uh, Petrovic. the loss of Strom, uh, for army. for you know, I mean, and Gagne is not a useless player, but uh, and he used to be a center, but in in our wildest dreams, do we see him as a two way thir- third line center that can sort of handle the two hundred foot game? No, I don't think we do. No, uh, he's never. And shown that was that, that was an upgrade from the guy that Shirelli got. I mean, that was Keith Gretzky kind of, you know, uh, at least kind of stabilizing the the bad mood to some degree. But uh, 
Uh, anyway, and Strom, Strom wasn't any great shakes, but I do think he absolutely f filled the role nicely of 3C with the possibility, which they never even tried out, of playing the wing on the t somewhere in the top six. And All right. Anyway, that's that's that. So they do have to fill that spot. Uh, Gaten Haas, uh, maybe. I mean, we, it's too early to judge. I'm not going to write the player off, as some seem to be wanting to do. Uh, but at the same time, there's no way to say, you know, I mean, if he just makes the team, then, that, you know, that's good. But to, to just drop him right into that 3C role is yeah. uh, is problematic. Uh, so anyway, this week we saw the two top free agents go. We saw a very, very interesting and puzzling trade between uh, Chicago and Buffalo, where uh, uh, Buffalo sent a young, promising, but under-delivering winger, cough, yes, he pulled Yarby, cough, uh, to Chicago for Henry Yokoharyu, a uh, very promising 19, just turned, I guess, 20-year-old defenseman uh, who played a chunk of games and a chunk of time in the NHL last year. And if the Oilers are going to do something with Pooley Arby, that's the kind of trade they could be looking for, you know, the trade their young guy for somebody yeah, else's young guy. I think you've got to keep your pieces. You don't trade for a defenseman. they got enough defensemen. Like, I don't, I, well, I know people are all over the Oilers, and I didn't buy the criticism there because well, you, you, you have the Oilers don't have a needed defense. You, you got to address, you can say, well, you stop. Well, then, so then you trade for, yeah, but it's I, not, mean, so, I don't think it's that easy to do like, like, yeah, okay, if multiple deals were no, easy. No, I'm not saying multiple deals. I'm saying both Nylander and uh, Yoki Haru were traded for a young player. Would you Neither, trade Nylander for Pulley RV, though? I wouldn't. Why would well, you? Uh, because he might play on your team next year. I, I don't know, David. I don't have the answer. What I do know is that that uh, uh, some of the same people are saying, let Pugliarvi go and, and play in Europe for a year. Also the same players, people saying, well, Ken Holland's got to do everything he can to improve his team now. So which is it? I mean, you do have an asset. Uh, maybe you can move it for another asset. Anyway, the, the, the lack of sort of anything is getting to be a little little bit uh okay uh, fair frustrated. fair enough like i understand the frustration like people see a, see a deal like that and my first reaction was that too like okay why why weren't we in on this like so i get that but i i guess what i'm saying is as frustrated as we are there's also something to be said right now for letting the the screws tighten on every team because mm. this is a very real situation let's say you're playing poker and you're not poker mm -hmm. but i I don't even know how to play poker, so I can't use that as an analogy. But you're playing some some game where the screws start to tighten on a player. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes it's good just to you just take your time, let the pressure get stronger and stronger and stronger. So if Holland's assessing it, he's let's say he's had a thorough look as he should cap situation of all these teams and what has to happen. He knows in five or six or seven cities a lot of cities to deal with that something has to give. He knows that. And he also knows there's only, let's say he's, he's assessed. There's only about two or three teams that are really looking for what he's looking for, but there's five or six or seven teams that are going to give him that. Well, then it's, it makes sense to wait a little bit, not to rush, not to rush into anything like don't trade for a defenseman that you don't necessarily need and, and wait. And that deal will come to you, but you're going to have to be patient, but it will come to you in the best possible terms when the other team gets totally heated up and has very few options. 
maybe you're the only option for a trade at that point. Now that's the, that's the rosiest possible mm-hmm. scenario, but it is, I think it's not, I think that's what we see shaping up. Now, what I don't know is how many teams are out there looking for a great deal on the other side for a forward. Like how many teams really, really need a forward like the Oilers do? Maybe there's an equal number of trading partners and that pressure really doesn't develop in a, in a way I'd like to see. So, so there's that. Bruce, let's go over the, some of the scenarios that could happen. Sure. So, so the first one that we've seen is um, lots of trades like this this summer is the, the old trading um, um, a teams in cap trouble. So they unloaded a decent forward for um, a draft pick because they can't take on salary mm-hmm. and they got to get rid of that forward. And we saw that the um, Jimmy VC right. uh, went from the Rangers to Buffalo for a third pick. Eric Halla went to Carolina for a fifth round pick. Those mm-hmm. are the two that come to mind right now. I think we're going to see that trade two or three or four or five more times this summer. And the orders could certainly do that. So some of the players I've identified are... Well, they couldn't uh, do it for... Um, uh, a guy making big money, they couldn't do it for Harakala. They don't have the cap room. I think they could do it for a player making as much as about $3 million a year if they stretched. And there's a number of players in that category. Zach Hyman, Brian Rust, $3.5 mm-hmm. uh, Derek Ryan, $3.1 million. Charlie Coyle from Boston, $3.2 million. Um, Andrew Kopp, who's an RFA. Pavel Bushnevich, RFA. Danton Heinen, who just signed for $2.8 million in Boston. Mm-hmm. So... Those are those are players all on teams that are right up against the cap. So Kevin, Le, Kevin LeBanc that just signed a one-year, $1 million deal in San Jose. Geez, I want his agent to be negotiating with RGM. I still can't believe that one. I just that one just blows me away. It's 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 incomprehensible at this yeah. point. Like frankly, it's incomprehensible. Like I don't know what the hell happened there. Like that's madness. Uh-huh. So we, it's hard to. Rather than ascribe madness to it, I'm just going to say I don't understand it. No, I don't be, either. There must be something logical that I don't get. Otherwise, otherwise, uh, Kevin LeBanc is either an idiot or his agent is or both are. So we'll just leave it there. Let's say they're not idiots. Let's assume that they're rational people and they had really good reasons for doing what they did. And they're going to wait their turn to take the big money out of San Jose in about 2025 when all those other big contracts expire. They're going to get, then, the, then the bank's going to get paid. When he blows like, out his knee and his negotiating like will be that so much better next time. He'll have such yeah. a better negotiating position because he's clearly such a brilliant negotiator, he and his agent. So that kind of trade, Bruce, what would you like to see? Now that could be, and again, you could go the offer sheet route with that too. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of lumping in, but getting that forward for draft picks. What do you think the owners are going to do that trade? Uh, I think they got to trade salary for salary for the reasons um, described, and and the num- the number of contracts they have that they want to trade, you know, that are going to make a difference uh, on the salary cap are very few. You know, I mean. Let's say they want to take on two million more in con- in sal- salary, and that's what they've decided is their upper limit. Uh, well, they've already exercised the nuclear option in, uh, on Andrew Sekra and realized three million dollars in cap savings with him. Uh, so they've done what they can do in that department. So if you want to get a four million dollar winger, you got to trade out a two million dollar player the other way at minimum, or four million dollar player yeah. the other way at best, and. Those so two Pooley players Arby, are Matt Benning, Chris Russell. Well, even Paul Yarby. I mean, currently he's not even listed as part of the salary cap, but uh, uh, certainly he's an asset that could be moved. 
Uh, but again, you know, if you trade him for a $4 million winger, well, then you're still capped out plus. You're still going to have to make another move somehow. And I'll tell you what, shedding cap in this market is not an easy thing to do. No. So, um, so the order, so so the some of the wingers available, uh, who who I think might be available, uh, Tyler Toffoli from L.A. He's on the mm-hmm. last year, four point six million. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't lived up to that contract, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if they might be getting sick of him. Uh, Nashville has a number of of they have a need for a defenseman, having traded PK Subban. Mm-hmm. L.A.'s in the look. The reason I was looking at Toffoli is because L.A.'s looking for a D man because they've traded uh, Jake uh, Muzzin. Uh, Nashville has Michael Granlin, Craig Smith, Nick Benino, Kelly Yarncrock, Colton Sissons, a whole group of forwards. Uh, there's, there's Ottawa that needs defensemen having lost Eric Carlson and never re- replaced him. There is Winnipeg who are really short on defensemen. They have Matthew Perot, Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, and there's Vegas, I think, who are also short on defensemen right now where they have Cody Eakin and Riley Smith. So those were the teams when I look closely at really, really needed defensemen. And if you're looking to trade Russell or Benning. Uh, so, you know, and some of those teams, Chris Russell has given the, the orders a list now of 10 teams he can be traded to. And, um, you know, with Todd McClellan in L.A. or Vegas, I think those are teams that Russell mm-hmm. might agree to go to. Nashville, um, Calgary, I, I, don't, I didn't list the Calgary players there, but there, you know, there's also, of course, Derek Ryan and, and um, Froelich and Sam Bennett. So there, there are a number of... And I wouldn't be a, a surprised to see that trade at all. What about you? I think that's the most likely scenario at this point because I don't think Holland is going to... I would love to see an RFA offer sheet to uh, young Mr. Lemieux in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a really smart play um, mm-hmm. or or really... But I don't think the owners are going to do that to force the deal, so I just see a trade coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, Roddy Smith, for example, would love to get Roddy Smith. Man, that would make a huge difference up front. Five million. So, well, you'd have to give him Russell, Bruce. Yeah. If you give him Russell, you can do that. Yeah. So, is that a deal that Vegas wants to make, though? Well, they, um, need, to, what, they need to sign Nikita Gusev. What would you have to, uh, or else you trade for Gusev, but then you have to sign him. Uh, you, you have to. Uh, Chris Russell uh, and something for Gusev. Chris you know? Russell plus plus. For Riley they, Smith or Gusev. They can't trade Russell for Gusev Bruce. They've got a shed salary cap. They they have to do a money for money trade. They right. set Riley Smith is five million, Russell is four. Can, million. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So they can't trade for Gusev that, that way. They mm-hmm. they can't take on sorry, but they do need defensemen. This is what people aren't saying about Vegas. They've mm-hmm. been saying, Oh, they're up against the cap and they got it. But they also really they've I think they got four NHL D men or five NHL D men under contract. They've got to get another D man or two. So Matt Benning or Russell would be perfect for that team. And that's why I'm, I've listed them in that group of targets. So, uh, and Nashville's the same deal. They've got, I think, about five guys that, you know, maybe there's some guys that I'm not thinking uh, about oh. as NHLers. Uh, but I think the five that I've got on their list included Dante Fabro, their, their top pick, who right. I, I think they're expecting to make the team. Anyway, I, I, I do think there's a, still a trade there to be made. And, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see that. We haven't heard that talked about a lot. Like it's not something that Bob Stoffers, he's you know he's talked endlessly about Jesse Puljujarvi being traded, but um, uh, and Milan Lucic, those rumors, you know. But and and that could happen, you know, with the latest uh, rumor being 
Sam Bennett and um, James Neal from Calgary coming here for maybe some kind of Puglia-RV and Lucic combination. I don't know hmm. if that would make sense. I know it makes sense cap-wise for both teams because Calgary needs doesn't have the money to sign all their players that they got to shed someone like like Sam Bennett. Uh, and um, both Neil and Lucic, you know, would be open to such a deal. So we'll see. What do you think about that? Sam Bennett work for you? Oh, uh, yeah, I think he would be uh, uh, a very nice ad. I mean, he's he's a weird player. Like, I mean, he plays for Calgary, so my my natural instinct is just not to like the guy. And you know, and and he can be a pain in the side uh, as a player. I don't think he's ever produced that anywhere close to the level that. Uh, we're expecting, but you keep looking at the guy and thinking, man, he's due to break out. Surely he's due to break out. And uh, I'm not sure Calgary would uh, want to move him. And I'm certainly not sure they'd want to move him to Edmonton. Uh, at the same time, you know, they have Matt Kachuk to, to sign and uh, they have uh, uh, moves of that nature to make. Uh, oh, they got Rich to sign too, their goalie. They got right. Kachuk and Rich and they got about, right. about 9 million, I think, or something like that. And mm-hmm. And Bennett, they have to sign Bennett as well. Right. He's going to be about a about a two and a half million dollar a year player, two million something in there. So in junior, his last year of junior, Bruce, um, Sam Bennett scored at the same rate, give or take a give or take a small per- percentage of points, the same rate in his last year of junior as Andrei Svechnikov, Leon Draisaitl, Sean Couturier, Jonathan Huberdeau, Jacob Voracek. Neil Yakupov, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. Wow. So only one of those players, Neil Yakupov, turned out to be a dud. Um, there's a lot of really, really good hockey players on that list. Yeah, um, I'll say. In terms of a slow developer, the slowest developer on that is Voracek took a while, did he not, to become a really good NHL player. Um, Turier took yeah. a while to become a bit of a scorer, but score a bit more. Um, Dubois still hasn't scored a lot. Um, but so there's some, some of them have developed slowly, but man, that's a, that's a really promising yeah, rate of scoring. And he was a June birthday, like one of the youngest players on that list. Mm-hmm. So man, he hasn't come close to, to living up to that. Maybe he never will. That happens he, too, right? He was rated ahead of Leon Dreisaitl in most polls are there, or at least neck and neck. The Oilers kind of, kind of, um, uh, went with the lower ranked player correctly because he more suited their needs. But, man, the difference between Drysaddle and Bennett's careers to this point is night and day. But, uh, yeah, sure, he's a, he's a, a, a kind of player who uh, uh, could help the team. And uh, I think he's got some center in his past, too, you know, I thought he could uh, uh, be a versatile guy. Uh, I'm just looking back at this Vegas situation you mentioned. You're right, there's only five guys under contract. They're, they're on the hook for $85 million in salary. They will be able to write off the David Clarkson uh, five and a quarter million on a uh, uh, long-term injured reserve, but they have to account for that at the beginning of the season. And so they're they're in tight now. You think a player like Matt Benning might be of particular interest? Well, if they could trade like Cody like Aiken Vegas. for Matt Benning, right? Uh, it was a guy I was exactly looking at. So that would make perfect sense to me like you shed some salary from vegas edmonton gets the third line center that they need and mm-hmm. you know they're stuck on the wing but then they then they think well Tyler benson's got to pull it off 
you know, one of these guys has got to pull it off. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're in the same position essentially they were last year, right? Where they're just hoping on the wing, but at least they have their third line center. <laughs> they're, just, yeah. they're just where they were last year when they had Ryan Strom there. Well, Cody, I've already, Aiken, two, I've already had my two minute hate about Peter Shirelli, so I won't start doing that again. He's been kicking around for a long time. And last year he hit 20 goals, 22 goals for the first time. Um, 41 points, you know, just a good solid producer, fast skater. Uh, so, I mean, that's the kind of trade, two million out, four million in, that the Oilers can do that would also be of appeal to another team. That I'd, would, lo- you know. I'd love to see them move and get Guzev. I don't know if they have the money um, mm-hmm. to pull that off. But that'd be that'd be an interesting trade to make, to see them make. All right, Bruce, let's just finish off with two quick items. Philip Broberg decides to play not in Hamilton, but in Sheleftia in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And the orders changed things up a little bit in their scouting. So um, I really liked uh, I, I, the, the we'll start with the scouting. I really liked just, you know, having looked at scouting now in depth, it's clear to me that the most, one of the most important things, there's two things you need in your scouting department. You need someone who's really, really brilliant. One or two scouts who are really, really brilliant. When you look at the teams that have done, great things in the draft it's usually driven by one or two brilliant scouts and the other thing you need is constant turnover and uh even the brilliant scouts become non-brilliant after a certain amount of time between five and ten years that seems to be about the shelf life for that kind of uh work that's done and it might have to do with just the amount sheer amount of work ethic that goes into being a great scout but they seem to even the best ones like Barry Fraser, the Oilers and the, the people in Detroit that did such great work seem to, to burn out after five to 10 years. So just well, how sure, long was Tyler Wright in Detroit though? Cause I mean, he's already done well, the, scouting for a number of years. So right? this is, I, I, what I don't know, Bruce is in terms of churn, in terms of this, um, it might also just change of scenery may also give people that burst to mm-hmm. like so jimmy devolano was a great scout with the islanders and then again with detroit right mm-hmm. so I, I think there, yeah. there might be something said just for just churn moving on to a new team just don't get too comfortable right. like don't have your scouts get too comfortable i think might be the so i know tyler Wright. tyler Wright was only there i think from 2014 so the owners signed tyler Wright. he was holland's uh chief of scouting in in uh detroit he had his drafts were okay i think we can say they got dylan larkin Chalowski, Chalowski, and um, Philip Ronick. Um, and then they got a bunch of players that we don't know right. whether they're going to turn out because it's too early. Zadina, uh, Philip Zadina, Michael Rasmussen, and their pick this year, uh, the German defensor, Moritz Seider, who right. seemed like a reach to everybody. But we don't know. Like Maybe those players are going to be great, good, bad. It's still too early to say. So we don't know how, what Tyler Wright's record really is in Detroit. But again, I'm just I just like the idea personally. Like the Oilers need to keep need to keep changing out your. The biggest mistake Ken Holland made in Detroit is he let those scouts get fat and happy, and he kept them around. He kept around about four or five guys for twenty years, and they started to do really mediocre work, and it killed the chances of the Red Wings. So did, did they all move to Mexican villas? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking at Tyler Wright's page right now. Because, uh, of course, he was in Edmonton Oilers' first-round draft choice in 1991. And uh, they they did, they went full lawyer on him. Uh, they gave him an NHL tryout at age 19 in 92-93. He played seven games. 
and had so advanced his career that the next year he played five games, and the year after that he played six, and then he played 23, and then they got rid of him for a seventh-round draft pick. And he went on to play six hundred over 600 NHL games, and the, the seventh-round draft pick the Oilers got uh, wound up playing in the uh, – uh, North American Hockey League, the French version, you know, the one with all the goons that uh, mm-hmm. that they have over three fights a game. Anyway, that that was so Oilers, and it was just so Barry Fraser era Oilers too. How uh, how all that went down, but uh, anyway, maybe he's going to deliver valor to the Oilers just you know twenty five years later than we were expecting. <laughs> when you mentioned the uh, when you referred to the you know Barry Fraser's famous for having spent his last decade down in Mexico. I, I just had this image of all these Detroit scouts, you know, one, <laughs> one of them's in Bangkok and the other one's in the other one's in the Caribbean and the other, and the other one's in, and they're all getting together on this Google hangout <laughs> to talk about this, you know, the other one's on the Spanish Riviera and it's oh. midwinter and they're all, they're all getting together to, to talk about the latest prospects over Skype. Or, yeah, I'm very crazy to even have Google Hangouts or Skype. You know, anyway, that, <laughs> they had their own. They had their own multi-million dollar system to, to communicate that they'd set up because they convinced Holland that that was a necessary expenditure for proper scouting. Anyway, but really, they they really did. They really did get crappy after about 2004 in Detroit. They they stopped finding the Johan Fransons and the uh, Zetterbergs and the Datsuks. They did. They ran out and and. Uh, for 10 years, they got very little through the draft in Detroit, and you can't have that. So I, I'm i a little skeptical of Tyler. Like, I think you raise a good point. Maybe he's already – whatever whatever he had in him as a scout, maybe he's already tapped it out. And they would have been better off hiring a younger man and, and a more a hungrier guy. And I think that's probably true, Bruce. Like, if, if that's if that's the critique, I think that might be a fair one. Yeah. You don't want to hire the best scout in the world because he's already done his best work. I'm sorry to say that seems to be, there's a, there's one or two exceptions to that, that I can see, but there's not many. That's about it. It's like mathematicians. eh? they do all their brilliant stuff they do in their twenties. And then they can go on and be very respectable uh, mathematicians in their later years, but their brilliant works behind them. I, I'm, I'm joking a little bit. Uh, the trouble with the scouts of course is that, there's usually about a five-year turnaround before you even realize what, whether they were doing well or poorly. So, uh, and you're talking about a, a, maybe a shorter shelf life. And, I, of course, I'm visualizing the hard-bitten scout that's been on the road for 30 years, taking the bus to Swift Current, you know, and Moose Jaw and watching these, uh, watching these kids play night after night. And those are dedicated people, most of them. And they're, I mean... Their experience, their eyes have value. Uh, but I agree that I think the mix of scouts in the organization, if you, you can't get too fat and happy with an entire group. There has to be, as, uh, uh, as you put it, using a Peter Shirelli word, churn, in the, uh, uh, in the system. And certainly our system, I think the Oilers system is getting some churn, almost from top to bottom with Holland coming in. He's not... He hasn't red weddinged the entire group of any department, but there's been sort of significant changes, I think, right throughout the organization. And bringing in Tyler Wright, where does he fit? Like, is he going to be the head scout? Like, that's is he? Uh, does he slide in under Bob Green and and uh, uh, but is uh, sort of considered the chief amateur scout? Like, 
they wouldn't have just said come and be a you know come and be a stringer for us he's he's got some kind of a significant yeah. role bob green's done some good work but you know mm-hmm. again even if he has maybe it's time for you know again i think it really is a young man's game the owners have had three scouts who have been around there 10 years um mm-hmm. i would take if i was the new guy i'd be taking a hard look at their record in the last five and, and see mm-hmm. see if they've offered much of value if they haven't just like okay time to move on like go go scout for someone else um sorry yep. uh and so archie we, henderson eh? they brought in archie henderson the, uh, the pro scout so I, I, now I don't know if the same rules apply to pro scouting because it's hard to tell, right? Because the, the GMs, of course, see all the pro players. They make their own decisions in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so do the pro scouts, you know, I, I, I haven't analyzed pro scouting in any serious way. I think it's impossible to do so almost. Except, except a team that makes a ton of bad trades like the Oilers did. You can say, like, yeah. fire them all quite safely. And I think... I, I, have yeah. they fired them all? Have they kept some of these pro scouts? I don't think they fired them all like they should. And no, um, the, you look at the Oilers' long-term record of players bringing in players who have uh, pro experience elsewhere, and they haven't struck the jackpot too many times uh, in in uh, recent years. Not too many Steve Steos uh, type uh, additions to the team in the last uh, twelve to fifteen years. You know where they where they. Well, Shirley had one good. Shirley had one good year. Let's mm-hmm. let's give him that. Maroon, Cassian, Talbot. Um, there are some good players who came in. Chris Russell. That was a good signing when he first came in on that first contract. That was a steal. Um, but I, I agree, Bruce. So Bruce Broberg and Skeleftia. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't mind it. Uh, I think first of all, it, it guarantees that. They're not going to be messing around with this guy as an 18-year-old in the NHL. (laughs) And I think, what is it, nine of the last ten first-round draft picks played the next year for the Oilers? Uh, Piarvi took a year in Sweden, and uh, Nurse was in junior. Yeah, yeah. So eight of the last nine, I guess, from 2010 to this year, all but uh, Darnell Nurse played – in the NHL the next season, they didn't necessarily play a full slate of games, yeah, but they Bouchard. got at least a trial. Bouchard got seven games, a Tyler Wright-style seven-game trial. And they had uh, – um, th- th- that's just not going to be a temptation. And that's, that's – I think that's the Holland uh, stamp. Uh, if not rushing uh, young guys, now, I mean, that's a very low bar, but it looks like he's going to clear that one. I don't mind that Broberg's going to be playing against men. Uh, he's in a very similar boat as Oscar Kleffbaum was uh, after he got drafted. And, of course, Oscar got hurt that next year, which didn't help anything at all. But uh, He was the uh, first-round pick that didn't he play was. In, in the NHL, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, he was the second of their first-round picks, and I, I, I always consider the first guy they picked as being the one. But, yeah, they had two that year. But, yeah, they, he's, he's more in the Oscar Kleffbaum boat i don't mind that he's playing against men uh what i do wonder is how much ice time is he going to get this uh swedish and european leagues in general are fairly notorious for uh having kids on their team but really giving them limited minutes well, and Bruce, i'd like to see him you know in the 17 plus minute range at least so the, i i looked at that that team and they they had they had seven defensemen who played mm-hmm. a significant amount of games last year like 40 plus games i think they go with seven defensemen each game 
Mm-hmm. And so no one played like, so the top two guys played 21 minutes. Yeah. And they're back. They're both in their mid twenties. They're back. Mm-hmm. And then they, they have three guys who played about, um, they had two other guys who played uh, 19 and uh, 17 minutes. And one of those guys was 37. So maybe he's not back. Right. Lindgren. The other guy was in that category was Philip Berglund, who's an Oilers draft pick. He's just 21. Um, and he's going to be on our prospects list that we're going to yeah. be running about. And then they had three guys who played 14 minutes right. a game. So we don't know if Broberg's, I, he, I don't think he's going to be in the top pairing, but he, no. he might be in that 17 to 19 minute category. We can hope that, or he might be in the, uh, the 14 minute category. You know, I, I, I guess I'm okay. 14 minutes uh, isn't a kind of ice time, but they practice a ton in Sweden. They do a good job of developing their, their defensemen. So I don't think it's the end of the world if he's just playing 14, 15 minutes a game, but getting all that practice time anyway and, and being developed properly um, in that regard. When we look at Swedish defensemen and Finnish defensemen drafted in the first round, Bruce, since 2014, there's mm-hmm. been about 15 of them and about half of them uh, in the year after they're drafted come over and play in North America or they already are playing in North America and about half of them are in Sweden. And, and it doesn't seem to be any different in terms of the results with them. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to be, of, of course, these guys are, most of them are still too young to make a comment on whether, on whether they're going to be good NHLers or not. But, uh, you know, Eric Brandstrom, mm-hmm. he, 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 he spent his draft. He was drafted 15th by Vegas in 2017. Spent his year after draft in Sweden came over and kind of crushed it in the AHL last year and then was, you know, the big piece in the Eric. Um, no, in the uh, Mark Stone. Michael Stone. Mark Stone. Mark Stone. Mm-hmm. Three hours, two hours there. Uh, are, are Michael and Mark Stone brothers? Uh, I, th- I think so. Uh, Michael's a Calgary defenseman that they, yeah. is a contact they dearly wish they didn't have on their books. Uh, Mark <laughs> Stone is a, Mark Stone's an absolute stud of a player. Absolutely fantastic player. So it, it works out, I think, either way with these guys being in Sweden or coming here. I, I, it's six of one, half a dozen of another. And, of course, he would have got a lot of playing time in the OHL with Hamilton. But you can also get in a bad situation on a bad team sometimes in the OHL where it doesn't, you know, things are kind of sour. So And you're playing a ton of games and maybe not getting the practice time. I think, personally, I think the practice time is the crucial thing um, mm-hmm. at that age for a player. So I'm just as happy to see him in Sweden where he, that will be the focus, the absolute focus. Maybe he'll wind up on a pairing with uh, the other Philip, Philip Berglund, Philip Broberg, and we'll have a bro, bro of Bergs on uh, the Berg oh, nice. bros, the Berg bros on uh, uh, Phillips, <laughs> on uh, Shaleftia. Uh, anyway, I agree with you on the practice time. Uh, they don't play quite as many games in that. And there's also more situations where the league takes a break and they play tournaments. Like he's sure, you know, 100% he'll be playing on their world junior team this year. Uh, and he's going to get a variety of experience uh, just staying at home. And he's doing what probably many Oilers fans now wish the Arby had done. Heavy side. Stayed back there. Yeah, heavy side. Stayed back there and, you know, developed his craft for, for a bit. Uh, so, uh, by and large, positive. And let's, you know, 
draft and what is it? Uh, draft and follow. <laughs> draft and follow. And so we follow him from a distance, but uh, we'll have a couple chances, I think, to to see him play. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Let's uh, let's leave it there. Okay. Thanks for talking. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>